Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Marina Franklin is a Chicago native who has called Harlem home long enough to see her New York City neighborhood gentrify around her. She also has traveled the world as a comedian, performing in festivals from Melbourne to Montreal and from Kilkenny to Bonnaroo. Franklin's on-screen credits include appearances on Chappelle's show, The Jim Gaffigan Show, Crashing, Louie, and The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, as well as stand-up performances on The Awkward Comedy Show and Showtime's Women Who Kill. Her podcast, Friends Like Us, features female comedians of color talking about the topics of the day. And she has a friend in Conan and Team Coco, who have featured her on TV, on tour, and have showcased the trailer to her first solo stand-up special, Single Black Female, which comes out in July 2019 via the Comedy Dynamics Network. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it! Franklin, thank yes. you for thank you for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me into your home. Oh well, yeah, this never happened, so you're welcome. It's an exclusive. It's a world exclusive. It is for you being in my home. I <laughs> uh, know it's 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 strange. I don't invite people in my home often, so. But it gives me a better picture of we're in Harlem, and I know you've joked for years about how Harlem has changed since you've moved here. Absolutely, yeah. Did you see it? The change walking down the street? Yeah. I mean, there's still black people here. You saw them, right? Lively black people. But now... Brunching, you see. eating paella, and <laughs> so lobster there, mac and cheese. Oh, yes. You saw the menu? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't do a good brunch if you don't have lobster mac and cheese. No. That's what everyone's looking for. Um, but you chose to tape your first solo special... Back in your hometown of Chicago. Yes, I did. How, how much has Chicago changed? Well, for me... Going it, back there, what was it like? Yeah, it is. A, it was a homecoming, going back home. But I go home at least three times a year. So it's not like I go back and I'm that shocked by what's happening. I just, I'm more shocked by the news, what I hear. What I see is the same thing. The only thing that maybe visually I've seen that's changed is if I go out into the suburbs to visit my little sister, Mm -hmm. where it used to be like an all sort of, it was a middle class, highly mixed community. It was black and white. Now it's all black. So the suburbs where I grew up, like Park Forest, Home of Flossmoor, mostly black now. So white flight did happen. So I was, when whites were tolerating, I guess. Are you comfortable? Although that sir? was a source of, although that's just been a source of your comedy, is the fact that, like, growing up in a mixed community. Yeah. So all those communities have changed. I mean, the thing is, is that. So where you grew up was mixed and has become more black, and Harlem, where you've been living, was black and is becoming more mixed. Yeah, it's kind of weird that way. I mean, yeah. my Chicago is. Hot the most segregated city in the world. It really is. And I started off in the f- when I was younger mm-hmm. in an all-white neighborhood in Highland Park. So up until I was about eight. 
And then after that, we moved to the south side, which was mostly black. So I got all of the experience of that from my mother not being able to settle down. And then out into the suburbs, which was all of a sudden the utopia of interracial community. It really was. It was even written up in the New York in the Chica- New York Times, in the Chicago Sun Times and Tribune okay. about my school being oh. all of these interracial couples and this. Look what's and happening. that was while you were going there. It was That's while up? I was going there. Who knew that article was actually like alert, alert, alert? Let's stop this. Let's make it stop. <laughs> so yeah, it's not like that anymore. And then yes, the community that I moved into in New York City, which is was mostly black is now, yeah, there are white people here. I don't know. Did you see any in my building when you came in? I saw one come in while I was trying to figure out if this was your building, yeah. Did they let you in, or did they look at you like you were crazy? I chose not to even force the issue. It's a weird door. I didn't want to... It's a weird... I didn't want to ruffle any feathers, so I let the door close, and then I... Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, what a good white man. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. It's like I always get looked at by the white girls sometimes where they're looking at me like they're nervous that I don't live in my building. Even though you've lived here probably longer than I've lived here most for, of them have. Yeah, I can help them out if they were nice to me. I could tell them. You're the assistant super at yeah, this point. <laughs> at this point, I really am. I actually helped one of the girls down the hall from me. I put um, an ADT sticker on her window. Mm-hmm. I said, you need this. Because she had no um, gates. You have, see how um, I have oh, gates? bars on the windows. And yeah, you got to have there. bars on the You know, it's it's nice, but it, you got to know there's criminals. Right. And even if you don't have security, put the sticker on. Just put the sticker on. But she was so trusting. Mm-hmm. She was, like, from, like, definitely, like, Seattle or something. And she was like, oh, do you think I need gates on the window? I was like, Yeah. <laughs> You see that fire escape? There's ladders that lead up to it. <laughs> People you see the can back? get in here. The door is open. So, yeah, if they really want to, they just come up the back. It's kind of common sense. Well, you're a good friend. Even to people who aren't your friends. I know. Well, we became friends. So, let's see, I'm helping the white community, too. This is what I do. Well, I mean, looking at, looking at your career, friendships have been kind of running through throughout it. I mean, even up until... This this new special, you've got friends at, at Team Coco who are like, we w- even though we didn't make it, we want to promote it. How did that I happen? Know. Well, because Conan has been supportive for, since the first time I did my late night set there. That was my second late night set. And at, at all, like overall, mm-hmm. I did two on his show. But the first time I did it, he was just so cool. And then they asked me back to do Comic-Con. And then after I did Comic-Con, I did another late night set. And his whole team, Team Coco, mm-hmm. like, they're they're cool. They're, yeah. like, good people. I've known JP for at least 12 oh, years. Oh, yeah, JP. So JP, the main reason, too, He's by the, the booker. Way. He's the booker. And he's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, he's really... You know, sometimes you just you look to see where the evil's going to kick in if it is. In this business, it, you know, you never know. Right. Never does. Never, ever, ever does. And they're, like, family-oriented. And so when I did Comic-Con with them, it was just a fun experience. It was great. And I got to know Conan more 
What did and you end up doing for Comic-Con with them? So that how year would, they were doing, work? like, promotions for um, your thing. I forget, is that Verizon? It was some type of uh, commercial for okay. this is your thing or whatever. So they wanted to send out correspondence out to advertise, to be a part of that streaming, whatever that was. Okay. I don't know, you know, these little technical digital. terms. Digital stuff. Mm-hmm. G- digital platforms. So they sent you out among the cosplayers and the panels and everything? Yeah, it was great. And what were you doing? Like, just kind of man on the street Man, stuff? A woman on You're the right. street. Or character on the street, I guess, yes. at a Comic-Con. Would yes, be but I was... I was non-binary... Gender queer. I know, right? Superhero on the street. Yeah, I didn't get to wear a superhero outfit, unfortunately. But I did go as a cat one day because I'm a cat lady. And I hung out at a cat nursery. So we just took little video Mm -hmm. clips of people who were at home who couldn't enjoy Comic-Con, could experience it like they were there. So it was me, Flula Borg, and Moses Storm. Mm -hmm. And we all were asked to go out. And, oh, and Joel... Joel Kim Booster? Yes. Okay. And we were all asked to just do whatever we were interested in. We'd get to pick. Oh. And I got to meet the cast of um, Shazam. Oh, that was a fun movie. Shazam. Mm -hmm. So, and I hung out with the cast and interviewed them. And then we did this great little clip. And they were just also fun. So, different things. Like, I also went to the uh, panel for Predator, Mm -hmm. that movie. Yeah. I just watched that on cable. What'd you think? But the predator okay on cable. Yeah, on the pan the panel mm-hmm. was fun. I had like press seats, Keegan so Michael I'm Key, all the way in the front. Mund. Yeah, there's. So it's like Raphael. it's the best way to yeah. do Comic Con is that you get the VIP treatment. You get to go past and go in because you're doing no lines. No lines. You get to see, meet people, interview, and really give people the experience. And I, I love that type of stuff because I'm a gamer too. Um, but I got in trouble because I accidentally said, like, Gods of War. Oh. You know that the game is called God of War, right? Sure. Do you, you don't even know? I I can tell you about uh, Intellivision games and Atari <laughs> 2600. Oh, okay. Well, that's impressive. Yeah. So that was my... Games ex- from the 80s. Oh, <laughs> I can tell you video games from the 80s. That's impressive. That's um, not bad. Yeah. But that's why but- I got um, connected with Conan, his team, how they work... How much fun I would have with them. Because that's still an unusual move for them to just, on their YouTube channel, just go, hey, we want to promote Marina Special. It's not coming from us, but we just want to That's how it. much Conan yeah. likes me. That's awesome. He's so, he really, he was so happy for the hour, and he would send me uh, emails telling me how he was like, you know, this is, you know, I just want you to do well, and this is well-deserved. And if anyone deserved it, you do. And I mean that. I'm not just being nice because <laughs> I'm not a nice. <laughs> but but he is. We've actually, seen the documentary. He's actually pretty nice. He is nice. I've met him once. Yeah. But I've also seen the documentary about his first tour. Oh really? Brian can't stop when he got fired from NBC. Oh, I didn't see that. And he that. went on his first tour. Oh wow. He just went on. Did you do any stuff with him on yes. this recent tour? Okay. Yeah. So I did the second. I guess I didn't know about the first tour. Yeah. So this second tour, yeah, I went to Detroit, Michigan, Washington, D.C., Atlantic City, and then um, New York City, also outside. Um, so while you're working on your hour, you get to see Conan developing as a stand-up. Yeah, I mean, I had already taped my hour, I believe. Was it before or after? I think it was before. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. So I was already done and ready to just go and rock. And it was a shorter set. I'm just doing like, what, 10 minutes, I think, maybe 15. So it's just, it's almost like after doing an hour, really enjoying myself. Just. That's good. I think it was after. I can't remember. Some people will kind of have like a little mini crash after they do their It hour. takes a while. It's, it's, so I recorded my hour last year in August, September, okay. right? September 14th. Yes. And it's, yeah, it takes a long time. So we're almost a year out, almost. And I would say it's, yeah, you crash really hard because you, you work so hard. That whole summer has gone. If you want to work hard on it, that is. And I did. So for me, it was like, in my mind, there was no summer for me. There was no, you know, everyone. It was all just prepping the hour. Yeah. A lot of people were, I was jealous of them. I would see them, their videos on Instagram. And I would see all these, like, people having just such a good summer. And I was like, I've got to work. Because I care about this. I want it right, to be good. Right, but you had a goal. I had a goal. And so I was like, I may be sad goal. now, but I'll be happy later. Well, let's go. Let's go. All, let's go all the way back to the start of your comedy career. Was that in Chicago or no? No, it started in New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who were your first comedy friends? My first comedy friends. That's funny that you asked that. Well, your your podcast is all about friends. And That's true. So who were your first friends? There was a guy comedy? named Richard Fronepfel. <laughs> <laughs> you said that with such confidence. Richard Frenopful. That was his joke. His joke was about oh. his last name, and my joke was about my first name. Nice. Yeah, and of course, yeah, I slept right. with him. Because that's what you do. <laughs> you know. That's, why I started, that's a good friend. I started shitting where I eat, you know, a long time ago. Right in the beginning. Right in the beginning. But, yeah, he was really... It was a little class that I took. I took a class. Okay. I'm well, not ashamed to admit it. Where did you, I mean, they where did you go me. for your class? At Gotham Comedy Club. But didn't Gavigan take a class there? I don't know. I never... I think he did. Did he say that? I've t- yeah, I think he's told me that before, yeah. Was he okay with it, Cause, saying Because on one of his specials, on one of his early specials, he put like a DVD extra was the, the, the clip of his graduation. What? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Because I'm always like so scared to admit that. <laughs> Only because people are like, you took a class? Like... After taking the class, I would do, or probably towards the end, mm-hmm. I started doing open mics to prepare for my class. Okay. And so that's where I met Victor Vernado. Ah. So that's how we became really close. He's like a brother to me, Victor Vernado. And then, yeah, I took that class and he would tease me. Victor was like, ah, you're taking a class, you're taking a class. And he would do a little dance and then he'd make me feel bad. But yeah, so Victor Vernado, mm-hmm. and also we the first room I would go to with Victor would be Eureka Joe's. Where's Eureka Joe's? Yeah, so anyone who's from that era, they know exactly what I mean. But Eureka mm-hmm. Joe's, sadly enough, like that's where I met Brody Stevens because okay. uh, he was always there. Brian Tucker, okay, for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, that's where I would see all of the main writers you see now on these shows, like Brian Tucker. Um, Josh Goldman, uh, Goldman, I think. Wait, no, no, Josh Goldman, and yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Where was else. Eureka Joe's? So many comedians that I that are doing really good now, but they're writers, right? 
Eureka Joe's was like on the Upper East Side. Okay. And it was a coffee house. And you would go in, and it was just people who were having coffee and sandwiches and minding their own business. And these comedians took over this room, and they would you would pick your name out of this bowl, and mm-hmm. that would tell you when you go on to perform. And that was basically the open mic. And I never, I don't think I got on the was first two times. once a, a week while. or every night that Eureka Joe's was? I can't remember. Me. I believe it was once a week. Okay. But it was the room that you wanted to get up on because you would see all of these, these guys that were really great writers. And a lot of these writers now, they're on, they write for Conan. They're mm-hmm. on part of the staff. So when I, when I did Conan, I was like, hey, it's like a reunion. So, yeah, Victor Vernado, Brody Stevens, Liam, uh, Liam McEnany. Yep. Was another one I used to run around with. And, yeah, I'm trying to think who else. Clara Bell. She's uh-huh. a French comedian. Okay. Yeah, we started running a room together on the Lower East Side. And Do Yeah. So we started a room at, like, a, a Latin spot. And we started it together as friends. And I think it was the first time they had, like, the other comics, I'll say the guy comics, mm-hmm. had seen, like, two girls host a comedy show together. That's crazy. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, and you guys are friends? It seemed weird to them that we were... <laughs> Girl comics can be friends. That they can do the same thing that the boys can do? Yeah. But, yeah, we would run that room on the Lower East Side, and it was fun. And we'd just have people come down and do a couple minutes. Sometimes we would have three people in the audience, and we'd just keep it going. Sangria. Uh, we had a lot of sangria. That was our, that was our plug. <laughs> what were you doing for work in those early years? So in the early years, I worked as, at first... Let's see, where was I? First, I was working at Jekyll and Hyde. You know Jekyll and Hyde? No. It's a theme restaurant. Okay. And uh, basically, it's like the idea is good versus evil. And, you know, Jekyll is like this guy. He can turn good or evil. Mm -hmm. Then you have these cast of characters around the restaurant running around while I'm, as a waitress, and serving food. So I and but they. So you weren't in character at all. Well, they tried it in the training. They say you're an explorer, mm. so you have to put on like these khaki pants and look like you're you got a explorer hat on, like just like in you know like when you see Frankenstein, the explorers right. go in. It's like we're those people. But I guess you know if you're an aspiring actor. Yeah, it made sense. Those are like. I mean, that's not how are, I got those. That. Are those are gigs to take? If, it wasn't if a you can't gig. get on Broadway, but I mean, like, like there's the sing. There's ones where they they sit, they get up on the counters and sing, and yeah, no, those those actors, they were being paid like, like after mm-hmm. rate wages. I was a waitress getting tips. <laughs> but what about the other people running around you? Those people, the yeah. actors, yeah, those are the ones they get. They're like actors. We hated them. <laughs> was there everyone, anybody at Chekhov and I who actually made something of? their career marina franklin <laughs> there's a no, lot i mean of, the people who weren't we like the people yes who were in actually the, there is there was one that i remember um i don't remember any of the other ones if they did i'm sorry but there is one no she was a waitress like i was okay. she was not i don't i think she may have she done some of the acting a hide or a 
Jekyll? No, but she's like I still see her now in a couple of movies. Oh. And com- she started doing commercials. She's a fun- I don't remember her name. I do remember taking her dress though. Ooh, like she gave she loaned me a dress. Mm-hmm. She used to put things. Do you on still my- have it? I still have the dress. Yeah, I never gave it. That's probably good that we don't remember her name. I was a Otherwise, really bad she'll, person. she'll come back for her dress. I was one of those people. Oh my god. So anyway. Yeah, just her. Mm-hmm. But no, everyone else, and everyone was an aspiring, aspiring like actor, performer. Right. A lot of them. But that's, ha- I mean, that's pretty typical for New Yorker, LA. Yeah. When did you finally give up working other jobs? When I got fired, I didn't really give up. I got fired. Well, laid off. Let's make it nice. Mm-hmm. So I got laid off right after September 11th. So when September 11th happened. Mm-hmm. A lot of corporations were figuring out that they could not afford the people on uh, the economy dipped. You remember that? Right. And so I was working for a consulting firm and they had to cut back. It's okay. no more. But I think they were just like they, they, the guy. I remember going into his office and, you know, he's like, you know, we love you, but we got to make cutbacks. And it's just, yeah. And, and when that happened, did you think, I'm going to have to find another job? Or did you think, I cried. you know, actually, comedy might work? I cried. I cried that day in the office. Not in front of him, but mm-hmm. when I went. And I was like, what am I going to do? And you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed no. to, like, kind of take your stuff Especially when that's not what you wanted to be doing in the first I don't place. Like, I don't like anyone letting me go. I like to be able to tell them, hey, I'm about to be huge. Goodbye. Right. That didn't happen that way. Yeah, you didn't have the power in that situation. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because going back to Victor Vernado, who's a good friend, he said to me, it was when I lost my job that things started to happen. It's when you, you know, lose something that's kind of in the way that you get to focus on the real goal. Right. So that that is actually what happened. I think a year later, that's when I did Last Comic Standing. Yeah. Last Comic Standing. What was your experience with that show like? Last Comic Standing? Yeah. Was it enjoyable for you or? No, it was not. I mean, the only part of it that was enjoyable was after it was done and finding out that people then knew who I was and I was getting stage time. Like, it was the first time the comic strip started using me. I got passed. Lucian, who was the booker there, I was like, like he was just so proud of me which is weird because I went through so much with that guy not booking me and not passing me and then all of a sudden he had this huge smile every time he saw me and he was like this is the one and I was like it was just nice so that was the good experience that's the power of being on network television Um, yeah it is the power even though that experience initially I didn't want to do it Mm -hmm. my manager at the time Jason Steinberg convinced me to go in and do it and it was torture because I don't like competing with other comedians. And I don't like someone saying you're funnier than that person because I, sorry, that's my coffee. That's fine. <laughs> I, I know it's timed. Um, I don't like someone saying this person's funnier than another person because it's all subjective. And right, it's all personal taste. I didn't know why at the time, why it was bothering me so much to the core. Like, I felt nauseous in the audition process. I felt physically ill. I killed at that audition. I went through all the way to Vegas. And even 
as I was going there, I just didn't like the feeling of it. Something about it was not me. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out there and found out I wasn't selected after destroying, and I remember, see, at that time, everyone was talking about how Dan Natterman had a great, great set. Right. He had the set of the night or whatever. But what I also knew was, I remember Brett Butler going, Marina, you were robbed. She pointed right at me, and she's, and I never forgot that. And I, that's when it hit me. Oh, my God, was this not what I thought? And that was the season that it became part of the show. Right, that it was casting and it wasn't... That it was casting. It wasn't all up to the judges. It was not all up to the judges. And the judges were finding that out, too. (laughs) And that's why Brett Butler was highly upset. And so that was my first moment where I realized what Hollywood really could be. And it it was disappointing. That could be enough to turn somebody off from pursuing the career yeah it was it was actually quite devastating i still remember the feeling i had i i remember the feeling i had was i was nauseous all the way through it and then afterwards finding out that my gut feeling was right about why it was wrong was even worse because it was like i'm sitting here and i don't i don't feel like this is why i did comedy or why i started this craft in the first place i did it because i love i love performing i love writing stories and I love being in front of people, and but I don't like the reality aspect of fighting, and I don't like lying about who I am, and I don't like trying to win something to spite someone else. That's just not who I am. So all that stuff just was... I was too young to understand to, that listening to my gut was the best thing you could do for your career, too. Yeah. Well, wow, that was well said, Marina. Damn. Well, it, it turns out that you know, <laughs> talking about Victor, then you know, fast forward a few years, and Victor decides he's going to make this special on his own. Did he use his own money? I forget. For awkward. Yeah, for awkward. For the I don't awkward really comedy know. show. I have no idea how he. He. Was, I just remember that he made it. He made and this it. This was before people. This was before it became trendy for people to make their own specials and albums. He always did that. He was always an innovator. He, he always decided made he was going to film this special, The Awkward Comedy Show, Yeah, that had you, uh, Hannibal Burris, Eric Andre, and Baron Vaughn. Baron Vaughn, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. And he, I don't, you know, it was funny because he just asked us all to do it. I thought he wanted me to just host, and mm-hmm. I wasn't going to, this is how, I'm going to say, this is how, funny I am I really just thought I was helping those guys have a good show oh you didn't think you were part of it no (laughs) but if you ask Victor Victor will go Marina never listens anyway so it Mm -hmm. makes sense so I was like okay I'm just like helping them out Mm because it was like the awkward kings it was originally called the awkward kings of comedy oh and with a title like that yeah it could be led to believe that that's not you. Yeah, so I said, oh, you want me to host? And mm-hmm. I was hosting at the cellar at the time, so I was like, "That's I can host it, sure. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then they started putting makeup on me. I was like, why am I, am I on tape too? <laughs> but no, <laughs> Victor always was a huge supporter and one that always would tell me what jokes were funny and what jokes were beneath me. 
and he encouraged us all. He had a reason for putting us all there. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I would say this is way before, you know, awkward uh, black girl or whatever. Oh, yeah. But before Issa Rae's thing. Yeah, yeah, this was, you know, this was, was his idea, you know. Yeah, but this he, was 2010. This was... Yeah, so this awkward comedy show, these were the people that he knew kind of personified that just authentically. And he put it together. And then you see where everyone everyone yeah. has gone. Well, you know, Barron has kind of run with that idea of there's the idea that there's not one kind of black comedy with his show, New Negroes. Yeah. How's that? I haven't seen that. that show. That's new. Yeah. Yeah. That's new this year on Comedy Central. The new Negroes. But he's been doing that as a podcast and a live show for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I haven't seen Barron because he's been in Canada, I believe, right? L.A. and Canada. God, I'm supposed to be Barron's friend. <laughs> but then, it's he was off. He was gone for a long time, so it's, it's funny. And then will move back to Chicago, right? I don't know. <laughs> but that's, you know what, that's what happens in comedy is, like, you start with certain comics they're like your friends you know and then the people you go to the mics with the people you go to mics with the people you do shows with you have these experiences with that you never the forget people you go to the festival for the first time with yeah you never forget these people and then like then all of a sudden like the career takes you off in different directions where you're in a different state and or someone's doing something and they're just they're far from you you know or they're a star now and you right. can't so, but sh- whenever you run into those people, you s- you have like this little moment between each other where it's like, you know, we both started here. You well, that, know each other. It's like family. Yeah. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because a couple of years after doing the Awkward Comedy Show, and then, you know, those guys all moved to L.A., Vic, not Victor, but Baron and Hannibal and Eric all moved to L.A., and then, but a couple of years later, then you do the uh, Women Who Kill that's Amy Schumer yes, with Nikki Glaser and Rachel Feinstein. Yeah, that was fun with Amy, Rachel, Nikki, me. Uh, Amy, this was Amy's idea because Amy would always like go out with us. Mm-hmm. We'd go dancing and stuff. Oh, okay. In the city, yeah. She liked dancing. She liked, she knew, she I, knew like I liked to dance. Amy would always like see me dancing at those holiday parties and mm-hmm. she'd be like, she, it was like she almost said, I want her to be my friend. <laughs> Amy made me her friend. And then we would go out to these parties, and we would dance, and then she was like, you know what? After gigs or just on off nights? Just off nights. Uh-huh. And we would just have fun. And then, yeah, she came up with this, where she put all these women together, and she was like, let's, you know, we're funny women, let's do this. And she came up, we were thinking about the title, we had like a couple off names, and she came up with Women Who Kill. And then, yeah, we did it. And then she became a huge star. She became a huge star. I mean, it just took off. It took off for her because she did Inside Amy Schumer. Yeah. Yeah. What, like, over these years, you know, you mentioned all of these friend groups. And you see, but then, like you said, they splinter off and some become super huge and some just go off. Mm-hmm. What do you take away from that as a learning experience for your own career and your own path? Well, the thing you take away is you start to, you know, because some people get bitter, um, but you have, and that's normal. Some people will start to wonder, how come I'm not a star? And and some people will 
still work with that person, so they're part of their team all the way through. And then some people will just say, that's not really for me anyway. And I think that's kind of like, not where, I, I mean, I'm not saying I don't want to be a, a star. Oh, my God, yes. Do I want to be a, but the thing is, is like, it's, that's not the goal the, for me. For me, it's always been, you know, I look back at those experiences, and people oftentimes come up to me and they go, Marina, on Women Who Kill, you were so funny. How come you're not where these people are? They'll always say that to me. I get that a lot. And I go, it's just about business, really, and knowing where you want to go. And I don't think I always knew that, to be honest, to be fair. I just didn't have that. That's not my... That's not my how I'm wired. Mm-hmm. I'm wired for the art of it, the craft not of the it. Business part. Of yeah, my business. heart's really in stand up, and that sounds moronic because I got to pay my bills. But <laughs> <laughs> this is the truth. The truth is, is that I was always just loving the craft of it, and I never had um, any other plan. <laughs> you know, so when people would say, "What's what's your plan?" And I was like, to write a good joke? And that didn't seem to suffice for anyone. What's your plan? To be as good at this as I could possibly be? Never made anyone happy. But if I said my plan was to get a pilot on ABC and then fast forward to an Oscar, then they would probably be like, yes, that's a good plan. But that doesn't mean anything. But that's, that's the way, you know, going back to finding out from the last comic how Hollywood works... That's how Hollywood works. A general meeting is not, oh, it's nice to meet you. Let's have lunch. It's what is your plan? What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, I mean, and a part of that. What is, ideas do you have? What's yeah, your what screenplay? I, well, I mean, what's your sitcom? And a part of it is also, do they like you, and mm-hmm. and do they have a good conversation with you when you're in that room, and do they get you? You know, a lot of what I learned being an older comic, a black woman in this industry is. A lot of times when I would go into that room, I had no idea why they weren't getting me. It's this younger generation of black female comics that I love that absolutely are exposing that and that push for diversity because they're saying, yeah, you don't get me. That doesn't mean you don't get to get me. (laughs) Okay? Like Amanda Seals is great with that. Because she's like, she's like not apologetic at all and she's great at exposing that. But I didn't understand it. I would honestly, I come from a theater background, so going back to that, mm-hmm. I used to always say, I used to have a theater instructor who would always say to me, if you want to be a celebrity, this is not what this is for. If you want to be good at what you do, do you want, do you want to be a star? Do you want to be good at it? You know. And that same woman, I remember auditioning for her for an Irish play. Mm-hmm. It's called Dancing at Lunasa. Oh, I've heard of that. Did I say I'm, it right? Or Luna, Lunasa. Lunasa. Yeah. I say things wrong all the time. But Dancing at Lunasa, mm-hmm. and I didn't get the part, but she sat me down in her her little uh, teacher closet room, and she said to me, I'm trying to imagine you doing the role, but I can't colorblind cast. So then why hold the audition? Right. So that was like a... a that was like a moment for me again where I go, wait, what's that? She couldn't imagine that character being black. Black. 
is what she's but saying. But I never, when I, what I'm saying is I never go in thinking that's why I'm not getting the part. I accidentally find out afterwards that's weird, and then years later I put it together and I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was unfair. It was unfair. So then you go into a room and you have these meetings with people and you, you don't know where they're from, but they more than likely have a common experience that I don't know about. That they, their conversation, the way they talk, how they pitch things to each other is very, they're used to it. So I come in and I'm talking a certain way. Even though I come from both white and black, I'm still black. My ex- experience culturally is still black. So what I'm going to talk about has a little bit further to go to pitch. When you get together with your own friends for your podcast, yes. friends like us, um, what are you most interested in finding out from your guests? Uh, how come they're making it and I'm not? No. <laughs> no. Uh, Teach me all your secrets. What are you doing and how come I'm not in it? Who books that? Yeah, who books that? <laughs> that is exactly right. Did you see? I posted a picture. This is Marina's look where she's not on the gig. And I'd just be looking at people. But... No, I I really started that podcast because I was inspired by Mark Marin. Okay. Because Mark Marin's story about how they basically his agents told him he was done, there was nothing for him, and then he created something for himself because he has a voice. So I was inspired by that, and I felt sort of the same way at that point. And I wanted to have a place that I could connect with the people I knew and figure it out and just have like I noticed all of these women of color that were doing comedy especially black women Mm -hmm. and this was at the same time that Sarah Night Live said they couldn't find a black woman this was that time it still amazes me that that even happened yeah and it doesn't it does not amaze me though because they're not really looking and so I knew they were out there and the funny thing is I knew I knew it in such a way because when I first started, there weren't as many in the mainstream rooms that I was working in New York City at, like, the Boston and the Cellar and Comic Strip. They may have been on the, you know, the um, alt scene or the urban scene. Well, there certainly weren't any in, like, the sketch groups, like UCB Theater. I hadn't seen them, and I hadn't come into contact with any black women, or there were very few um, Latin women that I, I mean, there was... Um, a few, but I, I just really, they weren't always on, like, out there in my side. But then all of a sudden, I was seeing all of these women of color doing comedy and stand-up. And I felt like that was such a slap in the face for that comment to come out when I knew we were really doing stuff. We're doing things. So I was like, well, let me have a place for these women to go, to vent to talk, talk about hot topics, get things off our chest, sort of like a, a home for them to come to, no matter where they are in the world, they can always come to New York when they're here and tell people where they're performing. And we, and we get together and, you know, there's that thing called the crabs in the barrel mentality where you can't always have like one, you know, Hollywood likes to showcase one black woman. Oh, right. Or one. I've even heard the men, the black men say that too, that there's. It's different. Black men do pretty well. I mean, we can. But they li- still say that. 
that same theory. It's not the same for them. Only, could be they say it, one. but it's not the same for them. It's, and I, I, I fight that because it has been very difficult for black women. Black men are still men in the business of comedy. So black women, however, really were not highlighted. And I mean that black women. Specifically, if you look back at all the comedy specials previous to this diversity push, you look at how many black women you saw doing half hours to an hour special that were at the level that I was at. You didn't see it. Well, Wanda's new hour is the first. Wanda's black, not at my level, but she's also the first black woman. I mean, on, she's way but, past but my she, level, and, and yet she's the first. And it just came out, and she's the first black woman to have a solo Netflix special. Is she? Hour. Are you sure? Yeah. To have an hour. The women, whatever Are you women, serious? Whatever women you're thinking of had half hours or were part of those 15 minute ones. Wow. Yeah. Even even in Africa, because they go all overseas. <laughs> those were those are like half hours or whatever. When they did the comedians of the world, those were see, all half hours. See, and the thing they try to do now is they try like even I made my podcast women of color, mm-hmm. but I do really stress black women because it is the most marginalized in right. the business of comedy. It is, you know. Yeah, you Indian go- women had Netflix specials before. Wanda. They will, and it's 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 oftentimes uh, a thing where you'll see, oh, we got women of color. Where are your black women? And then you'll find out where that drops off, right? Um, but I do think things have improved. I think they've gotten better because, see, that type of environment creates mm-hmm. that crabs in a barrel mentality that I, I was talking right. about where... If there's only one black woman that can make it at a time, then we're all going to fight each other and we're not going to like each other. But if you, it, what I wanted to do and what I intended to do was create a space where these women can come into a room together and really get to know each other. Because we may not be always around each other, but it was a good place for us to really connect. And I found that even if going in, maybe they had a little problem with another woman on that show or that I didn't know about or something was happening... After that, it's like, yeah, you let's know what? Let's sit down together. Yeah. yeah, let's sit down together. Let's figure this out. Let's realize we're all different. And we do have different views. You know, that's the thing that I noticed, like, a lot of people would go, well, what if, if it's all black women, why don't you, I mean, it's like no one ever says that when it's all white men or when it's all men. But black women actually have different views, and they have very nuanced conversations amongst themselves. And then I would hear the audience. They would say, I didn't know about this comedian. Thank you, Marina. I, I, I love Pat Brown. You know, I'm going to go see her show. Gina Yashere. They saw Gina Yashere, I think, in Arizona. They're like, we're going to see her in Arizona. So my fans for the podcast would go. And they weren't necessarily comedian audience people. But they would go out now and support these comedians. So that was, And they would hear us having a good time. Well, this summer is uh, is a nice, I don't know if it's a turning point, hopefully it is, but you have Amanda Seals hosting a comedy competition, for better or worse, on NBC. Oh, I haven't seen Bring that. Bring the Funny, it just started. Oh, okay. Um, you got Gina has a new show. Yes. On CBS. She's a writer, and yeah. she's on it. Yeah, and then um, then HBO has Black Lady Sketch Show. Yes, so it's, happen- it's so gotten better. It's gotten a lot better, and just... 
good. Just since we started talking. Yeah. Yeah, it's all happening. Just in the last half hour. I mean. It's gotten a lot better. It's inching its way. We got Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. You know, Tiffany is, I mean, I love Tiffany. And, you know, the thing is, is like, it's Leslie Jones. We got Leslie Jones, for God's sakes. It's, It's Wanda Sykes, her hour now on Netflix, like you said. So my whole thing is don't stop there. Don't give us the satisfactory, we'll throw you a bone. We'll see how you do. And if it doesn't do that well, we can say, see, we told you. Keep going. Let these women grow. Let these women develop. Let these sketch shows be what they are. If they fall, they fall. But let them grow and develop because we never had that chance. Someone once said to me about a comedian who were remain nameless <laughs> that they were highly overrated as a black performer. It was a male they were referring to, mm-hmm. and the woman was speaking to me. And I said, you know what? And she said, what? I go, we never get that. She goes, what do you mean? Black performers never get highly overrated so if that's happening then that's a good thing <laughs> because because it, means it always seen on the same footing it always even with has, an insult yeah still. yeah it had to always be perfect when you saw a black performer it wasn't like they just accidentally landed in that role there was no one handing them anything they didn't know people they didn't come from the same school or ivy league college they didn't have an affiliation they were really just they worked really hard and they were the most talented and they put the years of work in bernie mac is a great example of that so when they showed up they had done the work and the thing is is we can see scores and not to take away from white people, I love them. <laughs> They're good people, too. They can be. Thanks. But you're welcome. <laughs> but not to take away, but we would, I would oftentimes see a show grow, ha- have the uh, network, have the patience to see a show that may not be where it should have been, but grow. And I'm just saying, like, now it's, I want them to do the same thing for us. And, I, and I'm seeing that now. I saw Tiffany Haddish in the beginning, like, as far as, like, um, an actress, right? Like, I always thought she was a very talented actress and funny. But I see her growing, like, in front of the camera and getting better. Right. And that's important for a young sister to see. To see that, oh, my God, it is, it is about, like, getting better. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about, like, Oh my God, I'm black. I have to be perfect right now or else they're not going to take me. They're going to give me a chance to grow because that is what it's about, really. It's about growing and learning the craft. That's all it is. And if you give these people who are actually talented that chance, you have these stories out there that can affect so many people's lives and a generation of young people who need to see other stories. Well, I'm glad, Marina Franklin, that people are finally able to see your story. That was funny how I did that, how I put all those words together. (laughs) Because you're you're a consummate professional. Oh, my God. I streamed that together quite well. (laughs) On a Sunday? What? Hey, words. If you think that's something, you should check out Marina Franklin's new special, Single Black Female. Yeah, Single Black Female. Available wherever you have a device that streams video. Yeah, it's available on, and they can actually go to my website, mm-hmm. marinafranklin.com, 
and it will have all of those options there because it can be kind of confusing, yeah. but it's it's streaming everywhere. You can see it at any point. <laughs> There's not one time no. that you can see it only. It's whenever so you want. Whenever you want, you can you can own it. You can have it in your pocket. If Oof. you just feel like looking at me every now and then, you can pull it out. It's on your phone. Apple TV, Google Play, Amazon Prime, uh, On Demand, Comcast, Spectrum, all that. Yeah. See, you couldn't have said that 10 years ago. No, you couldn't have. No. no. So it's a good thing you're putting it out now. I know, right? <laughs> I feel really good about it. I feel really good about it, too. Thank you so much, Marina. Thank you. <laughs> This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.